going to be reading this morning from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn there? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's very hard to say if you've got a lisp. Two Thessalonians chapter two, and this is going to be our, our our chapter for the day. We're going to do verses one to eight this morning. God helping us, and God willing, afterwards tonight we'll do verses nine through to twelve. So let's start at verse one. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed the man doomed to destruction he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed in the proper, or at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Please keep your Bible open there. I'm sure like me you were aware this week of the uh, news about Japan's lunar uh, project uh, and their, their moon landing and uh, the sad thing of course that the, uh, the solar panels weren't working and so we're going to lose contact with it and that'll be the end of the story but uh, it's not of course the first lunar landing in 1969 the moon landing happened and uh, it was a world changing event but here's an interesting thing it may surprise you to know this but there's lots of people in the world today who think the lunar landing was a conspiracy that the whole thing was a fake that it was a a studio production to try and fool the russians that we had actually beaten them to the moon and there's uh, some very well read uh, and and reported on books and, uh, uh, and documentaries being made to try and prove this. Let me just give you one or two of the things that they, they point out. For instance, they point out the flag fluttering and they say that shouldn't be the case. There's no wind on the moon, so why was the flag fluttering? Was it someone left a door open in the studio and, and, uh, uh, and the wind was fluttering the flag? 
uh, they said, if you notice carefully in the background, there's no stars. And they said, there should be plenty of stars. There's no atmosphere on the moon, so we should be able to see the stars in the night sky. And they, they assumed that the uh, constellations were too tricky to configure with uh, where they were and where the, uh, they should be at that time. Too easy to be found out as a mistake that the people in the studio thought it was safer just to have a black sky. Uh, and then there's the fact that the, when the lunar module landed, it didn't leave a blast crater. And they said, really, you know, when this comes down with its thrusters going to land safely, it should have blasted a big hole uh, in the area where it landed, but it's missing. And then, of course, there's the uh, reflections and the extras. And this is a, I'll give you this one. This one does make me wonder. This is the one that does. Uh, is the fact that you, there's, there were meant to be only two men on the moon. And uh, you can see two of them in the uh, reflection. And, of course, there's the man there. So who's the third one? And who took the photograph is the other thing, isn't it? And uh, in one of the pictures, there's a, there's a guy who looks like he's wearing a hoodie uh, in the corner. And so a lot of people say, well, there you go, it's a fake. I don't think it was, actually, just for the record. I, I think it was real. Uh, but I, I don't know the answers to all those things. I have a newspaper cutting where Patrick Moore answers a lot of them very well, uh, if anyone wants to see that. But uh, it, it's one of those things that when you see that and you read it, you begin to think, oh, oh, mate, oh, you know, I, I was so sure of that. And uh, now suddenly I'm not so sure. I'm, I, I feel a little... You know, is it true or isn't it true? That's how you're left feeling. Well, that's how the Thessalonians were feeling when they wrote to the Apostle Paul. And the reason for this second book of Thessalonians is because they had a great concern. They had received a message that they were in the tribulation, the seven-year period leading up to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, because they were going through a time of persecution, as we see in chapter 1, this all made sense to them. And they, and they thought, well, this, this isn't what we thought. Uh, we were expecting the Lord to take us to heaven. But uh, here we are, and we seem to be in the tribulation. And uh, they were worried that they'd missed the rapture. It's interesting, in the last passage that we looked at last week, in 1 Thessalonians 4, they were worried about the dead missing the rapture. And now they're missing, in 2 Thessalonians, they're worried that they missed the rapture. And so they've uh, been left behind. Or it's happened and they're, uh, uh, yeah, they're going through the tribulation. And they had this letter uh, or uh, report that had come to them that had unsettled them. And so they wrote to Paul saying, could you clarify what is the situation, please? And this whole incident actually led to two things. First of all, it led to the apostles signing their letters. Now, we do that by nature today because that's our style in our Western world today. But that wasn't the way they did it back then. But they did then after, after this incident. If you look down in chapter 3 and verse 17, Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. And uh, he said, I, I'm leaving a, a personal mark here, so now you know this is really authentic from me. 
But they had this letter and they were concerned about it. So that was the first thing it led to. It led to them signing the letters. But the second thing it led to was Paul writing this letter and writing this information to correct their thinking again. And he shows them in verses 1 to 8 some things that must precede the tribulation, the time of the Lord's judgment on the earth. And uh, this is uh, uh, what he wants them to know. He says in verse 2, if you notice, he said he doesn't want them to become easily unsettled or alarmed. Uh, and the word unsettled there is the word for a shaking, you know, uh, shaking like an earthquake. It's the word really for a shaking like an earthquake. Not easily become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy. Your version may say spirit. That's talking about a prophetic utterance in the church. Report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord, which is a name for the tribulation, has already come. And so he he spells out here some reasons why they can know it hasn't. Because four things have to happen first. And I want us to take this on board today because there are people around today who are are suggesting that we're in the time when, uh, you know, the mark of the beast has been given out with the vaccine and all these things are going on around the world. And, uh, you know, maybe we are in the tribulation right now. There are people who are saying this. And we need to know what the Bible says about the end times. So there's four things. The rapture of the true church must happen first. Then the rebellion of the false church. The revelation of the Antichrist. And the removal of the restrainer. Those four things. Not all in that order. But uh, those four things must happen before the tribulation. So let's see the first one here this morning. First of all, there must be the rapture of the true church. And this is what Paul talks about in verse 1. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed, etc. Now, what we have in this verse is a, a, a description of the Lord's coming, and it's the two phases, it's his coming to earth and his rapture of his church. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the second coming, and our being gathered to him. That is the rapture of the church. And the word gather there is the, is the phrase for a synagogue. It means literally our assembling to him. You know, some churches, uh, they actually call themselves assemblies because that's a biblical phrase, actually, for the gathering of God's people. And the Lord Jesus Christ was the great gatherer. Uh, You remember in the book of Mark, we're told how the Lord Jesus uh, was in a house and it says his fame spread abroad and all the city was gathered together at the door. Mark chapter 1, verse 33. The Lord Jesus also told his disciples, when two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And we're told in Ephesians chapter 1, one day uh, at the end of time, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the great gatherer. And the rapture is going to be a great gathering of God's people out of this world to go back to heaven. And as I was saying last week, one of the, the, the glories, the wonders of the rapture is that it's going to be the first time the whole body of Christ has been gathered together in one place at one time. 
going to be absolutely amazing. I did think of another wonder this week as well, and that is number two, that they're all going to be there. Nobody's going to be off sick or missing. And number three, we're all going to be on time. (laughs) That's going to be a wonder, isn't it? But it will be a gathering of the whole body of Christ together to, to be with him and to go back to glory when he comes for us in the air. And this is one of the verses that proved to me when I was a child the pre-tribulation rapture because I thought to myself, you know, that's the only way the Thessalonians could have wondered that they had missed the coming of the Lord. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to reign and there's the battle of Armageddon against the Antichrist, nobody's going to say, well, I missed that. That Everybody's going to know that's happened. It only makes sense if... The Lord is coming for his church beforehand, unexpectedly, and taking his people home. That's the only way. And uh, it it makes sense to me that this is an event which is beforehand. Especially when they were uh, shocked to think that they were in the tribulation. Because obviously Paul had taught them that there was going to be a gathering to Christ beforehand. If the, the Apostle Paul had told them, now you, you Christians, you better watch out because the tribulation is coming first, then they wouldn't have written to Paul. They would say, well, this is what we were told. This is what we were told to expect. This is exactly how it said. There wouldn't have been a stir. There was only a stir because they thought they'd missed the rapture. And the rapture is one of the things that must happen first. If you, if you have your Bible, just go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And verse 10, where the Apostle Paul says about their, their conversion, he says uh, that they had been, uh, in verse 9, they, halfway through the verse there, it says, They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's true repentance, that is. And then verse 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Very clear, Jesus is resting. If you come to chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, and verse 9, we have the principle that's built upon. Verse 9, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. That's a reality to grasp, isn't it? God didn't appoint us as Christians to suffer wrath. We've been saved from the wrath, from the Lord Jesus Christ. And Revelation chapter 3 verse 10 is uh, another great verse to know on this. Uh, And uh, some people deny this is about the, the rapture, but verse 11 makes it very clear, I think, that follows. He says in chapter 3 verse 10, Uh, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. So there's lots of verses that show that the Lord is going to save us from the tribulation. And uh, this is something that we should take thank, give thanks to God for and rejoice in. Because uh, when you read about what the tribulation is going to be like, it's a, a very serious thing. There's a beautiful Old Testament story in the story of Elisha about the widow 
well, she wasn't a widow then, but the lady who made a, a room for him in her house for when he was passing. You remember that, the Shunammite. always get muddled up between the Shulamite in the Song of Songs. And the Shunammite woman had a, had a child as a gift, a miracle by God uh, from uh, the Lord for caring for Elisha. But uh, at the time of the famine, there was a seven-year famine coming on the land of Israel. And Elisha said to her, leave your land and go and live in another land. And she went to live among the Philistines. And then she came back at the end of the seven years. And she was, came, came back in to ask the king, could I have my land back, please? And it just so happened, by coincidence, uh, which is not a kosher word to the Jews, that Gehazi, the former servant of Elisha, was there telling the king all about this woman and about the miracle of the raising of the sun. And, and Gehazi says, and there she is, that's the woman. And the king says, you can have your land back. Now, I love that story. It's a beautiful thing because it pictures the Lord took her out of the way of harm for those seven years. And then she came back afterwards. That's what the Lord's going to do with us. Take us out of the way for those seven years. Then we come back with him at the second coming. So be encouraged by that, dear brothers and sisters. And and remember to keep looking for the coming of our Lord Jesus for his church at any moment. So first of all, then, that's the first thing. The second thing that must happen is the rebellion of the false church. And we see that in verse 3. Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. We'll pause the verse there. He goes on to another thing afterwards, but he says the rebellion occurs. Now, the word rebellion there is talking about something uh, very interesting. It is the Greek word apostasia, apostasia. And that is the word that gives us the term apostasy. You might have heard that being used. And the word apostasy means to fall away or to turn away from the truth. In the Apostle John's letter, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, he gives us the best definition of apostasy in these words. He says about those who were uh, rejectors, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now he's not talking there, as you can tell, about true Christians who have backslidden. True Christians will sometimes backslide. We see that even in the life of Peter uh, in the Bible. But what we're talking about here is people who turn away from the faith and says, I reject it now. I no longer believe it. And I'll walk away from Christianity. And this is what uh, John says uh, they, they are. They didn't really belong to us. But they've gone out from us. And the fact that they've gone out like the way they did shows they weren't truly saved in the first place. And this is one of the things the Bible says is going to happen before the Lord Jesus uh, sends the tribulation on the earth. There's going to be a great rebellion 
Uh, and the word rebellion is interesting because it's the same word that's used in the book of Hebrews of the time when the children of Israel rebelled over Moses. Do you remember what happened? Uh, Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and he was up the mountain a long time and the children of Israel came to Aaron and they said, Aaron, they said, we don't know what's happened to this fellow Moses. You make us a God that we can worship. And so Aaron, being a weak man, asked for their gold, all their earrings. And out of that gold, he made them a golden calf. And so the people bowed down to the image of a beast. Well, that is what is going to happen in the tribulation or uh, uh, before the tribulation. The people, many people are going to reject Christianity and I think it'll be a lot of people who didn't go in the rapture and they're going to say well it's all a load of rubbish and I'm rejecting Christianity and those people will then be ready for the tribulation to fall in line with what's going to happen it is a terribly sad thing when this happens and each one of us needs to uh, pray for those who come into the church that they are truly saved Pray for those who come into the church to be truly saved. Make sure, of course, that you're truly saved by uh, looking to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting in him. Uh, But when you are truly saved, pray for others to be truly saved too. When you hear of conversions, pray, Lord, that they not only start with you, but they go on with you. Uh, Because we want real Christians in the church. And real Christians will do. But uh, once saved is always saved if you're truly saved. If you're not truly saved, then uh, it's a fake conversion. This is what Jesus warned about, remember, in the parable of the soils, didn't he? Uh, And he said about how the one on stony ground fell away and the one that was uh, sown among thorns choked, but that which landed in good soil persevered and produced a crop 30, 60, 100 fold. That's what we want to be. So we need to make sure uh, that we're truly saved and pray for others in this capacity as well. Third thing that's going to happen is going to be the rise of the Antichrist. And this is in verse 3 again. He says, coming back to our verse, he said, That day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, if you had an A to Z of end times, A would have to stand for the Antichrist, uh, because he is one of the chief characters who appears in the whole scenario of the end times. The Antichrist is just one name out of many given to the man who will be the last dictator in the time known as the Tribulation. Um, And he is the man who is going to rule the world and is going to lead the world to worship himself and actually going to lead the world to worship Satan as well. We can see that from the book of Daniel and from the book of Revelation. And he's a part of a a trinity of evil, Satan himself and another character who we'll talk about another day called the false prophet. 
And actually, if you think about it, it's a counterfeit of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Antichrist is a counterfeit of the true Christ. The prefix anti can be understood two ways. I understand from the Greek, according to A.W. Pink and other writers, it can be against Christ, which he is, but it can also stand for an alternative to Christ, somebody who's setting themselves up in place of Christ. So uh, just as, you know, perhaps somebody who has a, uh, a, an affair, a woman comes along and she comes and she is replacing the wife who was the wife before. So this man is coming and he is trying to replace the Lord Jesus Christ. He's also called the beast in the book of Revelation. He's called the little horn in the book of Daniel. He's called the prince who is to come. He's called uh, by many, many different names. And two names given here are added to the list as well. He's called the son of perdition and he's called the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. Let's just think about those phrases uh, uh, a moment. The man of lawlessness. Now that describes his character. Uh, he's going to be a man who's going to be a lawbreaker uh, in terms of God's law. It's lawlessness as far as God's law concerned. If you were Jewish, you might say he's going to be the man of Torahlessness. <laughs> uh, you know, he's, he's against God's law uh, and the things that God stands for. And so he's going to be a man of lawlessness in that way. And the Bible says in 1 John 3 verse 4 that sin is lawlessness. And this can even be true of religious people. Um, you remember what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 about those who were uh, the false people who were standing before him on the day of judgment. And they'd never been saved. And he said, they said to him, but Lord, we did this good work in your name and we did that good work in your name. And he said, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness or you workers of iniquity. Same, same word. Uh, he said, I never knew you. They were never truly saved. I never knew you. But he, he calls those people workers of lawlessness. And that's what this is. It's, it's not living by God's word. And he's going to be a man who's going to try and introduce God, his own laws. I was interested just recently reading a, 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 an interview with Ted Turner, the media mogul uh, in America who is a very anti-Christian person and speaks at anti-Christian crusades. And uh, he's very hostile in his speech sometimes, although he says he's not against Christians as people, but uh, he, he says that, that you know, he can't see that judgment is fair for you know, sin. After all, it's just people enjoying themselves and things like this. Uh, that's a summary uh, of, of what I read that he said. Uh, but he carries around in his pocket his own version of the Ten Commandments, which he rewrote. And they're his own commandments. And they're, and they're commandments which he thinks the world should live by. Things like you should only have one child because of overpopulation. Uh, number two, you should look after the planet and so on. And all these are his, his Ten Commandments. Well, that's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to say, we scrap God's law. And here's my law. And it's going to be lawlessness in this way. And he's going to be a man of that nature. He's sometimes called the man of iniquity or, or the man of sin uh, because of that. But he's also called, you notice, 
the man doomed to destruction. The King James Version calls him the son of perdition. Because the word perdition means destruction. Now that phrase was given to another person in the Bible. I wonder if anybody knows who that was. Judas, yeah. John 17 verse 12. It was given to Judas Iscariot. And in Revelation 17.11, the Antichrist is also called the one doomed to destruction because he is going to be judged and destroyed by the Lord Jesus as we see at the end of this passage. And he is going to go to hell. Uh, But he is the one who comes in Satan's power and strength to mislead the world in the last days. And he is going to appear... Uh, at the beginning of the tribulation. Now he may actually be on the scene beforehand. He may even be alive now for all I know. Here's an interesting prospect for you. The devil doesn't know when the tribulation is going to begin. Only the Lord does, doesn't he? Because Jesus said, My, you know, no one knows the day or the hour. So the devil has to always be ready to have a man to step into that role as the Antichrist. And it's intriguing that he even offered that role to the Lord Jesus. When the Lord Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, you remember one of the temptations was, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And the Lord Jesus never turned around and said, but they're not yours to give. He never said that. Because they were. He is the God of this age at the moment, as it's called in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, he was offering Christ the kingdom without the cross. Christ wouldn't take it because he was coming to be our saviour. But he has that power and uh, he has to have somebody ready at all times. But he won't be revealed until the beginning of the tribulation when the seven year treaty is signed with Israel uh, according to Daniel 9.27. And we have good reason to think that that's going to be a peace treaty uh, because Daniel 8.25 says by peace he will destroy many. And that will be his, his method. I'll, I'll get you to sign this peace treaty and it'll, it'll put you in my power, in my hand. And I have to say, what I see happening in the world right now and in the Middle East right now m- makes me think, I see the attitude of the world. The world is against Israel because they're, they're fighting. And, uh, you know, the world loves the Jew when the Jew goes to the Holocaust. The world hates the Jew when the Jew stands up and fights for his turf. Well, they hate him. And they're all ready to turn on the Jews. And uh, he will come along at some point and say, well, I'll make peace. And everybody will be, brilliant, you're the man. And they'll all follow him. And by peace, he will enslave the world. And he will be revealed at that way at the beginning of the tribulation, Daniel 9, 27. But he will be revealed to Israel in the middle of the tribulation when he breaks that treaty. And in verse 4, we're told what he will do. He says he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. He is actually going to walk into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem when it's, it's here. And it's, uh, you know, the preparations for that, as we've talked before, are on the way, being made right now. If you don't believe me, go home and Google the Temple Institute and look at it for yourself uh, and see what's happening. 
but the temple will be rebuilt in the tribulation, if not beforehand. And in the midpoint, he is going to march in and he is going to set himself up as God in God's temple to be worshipped by man. Now the Jews at that point will say, whoa, 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 you've stepped over a line. You've gone too far. And they will realize then what the truth is. And that will trigger his persecution against him. There's more about that in the book of Revelation, including the exodus of many Jews out of the land to a place called Petra uh, for safety. But uh, this is how he will be known. Now, the tribulation hasn't begun if this man hasn't yet been revealed. So again, we can be sure we're not in the tribulation. All right? And the vaccine isn't the mark of the beast, no matter what anyone says. It may be a, a medication that different people have different opinions about, but it's not the mark of the beast. It's uh, not where we're at yet. We're not in the tribulation. The man of sin must be revealed first. But believe me, he is coming. And one place you don't want to be is in a world where he is on the throne. And I'd say to you, your choice today, dear friends, is this. Choose Christ or choose Antichrist. Because that's the choice you're going to have. If you don't choose it now, it'll come in the future. It'll be thrust at you. So choose Christ now. The son of man or the man of sin. That's your choice. The one who loves you and died on the cross for you and wants to save you from this. Or the one who actually wants to use you and enslave you and make you his, his puppet. Okay, the final thing that's going to happen is the removal of the restrainer. And that's what we see in verses 6 to 8. Verse 5, by the way, is an interesting verse. Paul says, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. When Paul was with the church in Thessalonica, he taught them these things. And this letter is trying to remind them to get them back on track. Verse 6, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Now, one of the questions people may be thinking as they're reading this is, is if, if the devil's got a man and he wants to bring him to the world stage and get the, this man to eventually lead him to, to turn the world to, towards Satan, then, uh, then why hasn't he done so? Why hasn't he done so? You just said earlier on, John, you know, quoting 2 Corinthians 4, that Satan is the god of this world. Why hasn't he done so? Well, the reason is, there is one who is holding him back. There's a power that is holding him back. Now, his power is not as great as the power as the one who is holding him back. So you have to ask yourself... Who or what has the power to hold back Satan? Now, I know only one answer to that question. And that's God. And that's God. And that's why it's interesting in this passage, uh, Paul says in verse 6, you know what is holding him back. And then in verse 7, he says, the one who now holds it back, he will be taken out of the way. 
And uh, I believe it's talking about God the Holy Spirit. You see, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to produce holiness. And uh, he is in the world, in the church, trying to be a sanctifying influence. What did Jesus call us? He called us the salt of the earth, didn't he? What does salt do? Salt preserves. Let me ask you, what is it that's holding America today? It's the evangelical church. That's what's holding America together. You know why uh, there's so much interest in the coming elections? And, and actually, a lot of people are speculating this is why Biden has come out so strong, surprisingly, for Israel. Everybody was like, well, this took us by surprise. We weren't expecting President Biden to stand with Israel. I'll tell you why he's doing it, because it's election year and he wants the evangelical votes. That's why. And this year, the evangelical church will be voting. And they are a massive majority. They're not a minority like in our country. They're a massive majority out there. And they are a salt in the earth, holding back a lot of the evil in the most powerful nation. They have states where abortion has been banned. That's been by the Christians. And that's, that's, that's what we are. We are the salt of the earth. Through our works, through our preaching, through our prayers, we have the restraining power uh, over all the things that are happening. Because the Holy Spirit is inside us. But for this to happen, the Holy Spirit has to be taken out of the world. And you can't take the Holy Spirit without taking those who he's in. And that means the church has to be taken out of the world which is what's going to happen. It's another proof for me of the pre-tribulation rapture. And he will be removed so that the evil one, the Antichrist, can come. And then eventually he will be destroyed when Christ comes back uh, at his second coming, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming, verse 8. I love that. That's based on the Psalms, where it says in the Psalms, one of the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 7, but I'll have to look up my notes later. It says he puffeth uh, in the King James Version, and he destroys his enemies. He just, with the breath of his mouth. And you know, the Lord Jesus, when he drove out demons, he just spoke a word, didn't he? He said to the demons, the thousands of demons that were in the demoniac at the gatherings, go, and they all had to flee. Just one word from the mighty Christ was greater than the power of the devil. And when Jesus comes back, he will slay the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth, the words that he says, and the Antichrist will be cast into the lake of fire. It's going to be a wonderful, glorious deliverance when Christ comes. But I want you to notice this. The remover, the the restrainer, hasn't been taken away yet, but... Look in verse 7 before we close. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Although the man of lawlessness is not yet here revealed, his power, his mysterious power, called in the King James the mystery of iniquity, is. And just as the Holy Spirit is working in the world... So as John calls in his letter, the spirit of Antichrist is working in the world. And that's why the world is trying, he's trying to prepare the way for the coming of the Antichrist. And you can see this is how people's thinking is being steered uh, through things 
you know, they're being taught in schools and, and things like this. And we're going to be talking about this more, more tonight. Let me give you an Old Testament picture to help you understand it. You remember at the end of the flood, Noah released two birds, didn't he, out of the ark. He released the raven and he released the dove. Now, the raven, we're told, went to and fro throughout the earth. What does that remind you of? Satan, right? In the book of Job, he goes to and fro throughout the earth. And that's what the mystery of iniquity is doing right now. Satan's spirit of Antichrist is in the world and he's trying to woo people to thinking about the the way that the Antichrist wants them to think, to prepare the way for his coming. In contrast to that, you have the dove who is an emblem of the Holy Spirit. Remember, he came down on Jesus uh, in in the form of a dove when Jesus was baptized. And you have those two forces in the world today. The mystery of iniquity, the, the, the wicked power of lawlessness secretly working. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, which one are you going to listen to? That's your choice. That's your choice. Who are you going to listen to? I pray you're going to listen to the, the Holy Spirit as he appeals with you. From the scriptures, come to Jesus. Put your trust in him. Now, God's spirit will not always strive with man, as we see before the flood. God will say there'll come a day when that'll be enough. But he's appealing to you now. He's saying, come to Christ. So will you come to Christ if you've not yet done so? Put your trust in the Savior who died on the cross and be ready for when the Lord comes for his church. There's things that are going to appear and happen before the tribulation comes. And these things are those. And I want you to be ready for the coming of the Lord. May the Lord work in your heart today. We're going to sing our final.